and welcome to Share, Learn, Connect. Whether you are listening in the car, the gym, at your desk, on site, whilst you clean your floors or take your dog for a walk. This is a monthly podcast series where fellow Downer employees talk about how to embrace difference through leadership. You are going to hear them share their stories of resilience and personal growth and reflect about pivotal moments in their personal and professional lives. I am Georgia Lutby and I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet today. Downer employs people across more than 300 sites, primarily in Australia and New Zealand, but also in the Asian Pacific region, South America and Africa. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and recognise and celebrate the diversity of First Peoples across all of the various lands, their ongoing cultures and connections to land, sea and community. You are going to love our topic and guest today where we talk about all things excellence. Some might describe excellence as the absolute best of something and others might say that excellence is about surpassing the standards expectation or going above the yardstick. The definition really does vary person to person but ultimately it is about striving to be better. It is with great excitement that I welcome Matt Urquhart who is Engineering Operations Manager within Downer's Mineral Technologies business. Matt, welcome. Can you tell us about what an engineering operations manager does? That's a really good question. Uh, engineering operations manager really is setting up people up for success to be able to do their best work. Our primary focus is really engineering designs. So whether that be studies, feed work or detailed designs, my role is helping build the team and the project teams that go and deliver those studies and designs. Our topic today is going to come back to excellence. So Matt, excellence is a really big part of Downer. It's the heart of what Downer does day to day and a big part of your story, which you're going to share. What does excellence mean to you? Excellence for me is it's a continuous pursuit. It's something that you never actually ever reach. But every time you line up, you take on a job, you, you do a task, it's the ability to give your best effort on the day. And then after that effort, stop and think about what went well, what didn't go so well, and build on that for next time. That, that whole process for me is excellence. It's not just one performance or, or one good moment. Um, it's, it's more the mindset and the culture around, hey, this is what I did today. This was my honest effort. Where was it good? Where was it bad? And how can I be better next time? So you grew up in Rockhampton. Can you tell me a little bit about those early days? I struggled in, in primary school. If you're not good at cricket, not good at football, struggling with reading and not on the head of the curve of math and you're not funny, it kind of makes it hard to say, well, what else is there? Um, so that sort of really lit the fire in me to find, well, what is my thing? What do I want to go and do? And um, so for me, I was I love swimming. And it was all about, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to be Matt Dunn, Kieran Perkins. High school allowed me to do more of that kind of thing. Got access to different teachers. I think matured as, as a child as well, um, grades started heading in the right direction, set me up for a, a career in engineering. For me, there was a real inflection shift of being able to get into a different environment with different people rather than just being fixed in that one thing. I think that comes back to a lot of the excellence piece as well as who, you, who you're surrounding yourself with and who's, who's uplifting you and what you're doing, even as a child. So swimming was something that you really wanted to do as, as a career or to try out for the Olympics for swimming? Yeah, swimming was something that I was just, I was just good at. Put a lot of work into it, loved it, uh, you know, 5.30 starts, swimming four kilometers in the morning, seven in the afternoon, and I loved it. And for me, it was somewhere I could actually go and express myself. This was my skill. I could be good at this thing. It was a bit of a, hey, here's the thing that I'm, I'm passionate about. I can go and do something with. But at the same time, mum and dad were always, in an encouraging way, helped me realize that that's great. Enjoy the win. You've worked really hard for that. You swam a lot of kilometers to go and do that. But look at what's next. And they sort of really helped me build that mindset of, well, this was good, but how can I get more? 
it was sort of that continuous improvement and looking further afield of what's the next step along the way was really sort of a hit home for me early on to say, well, yeah, if you want to do well, you've got to try. And then when you try, you'll get some feedback, you'll get some results, you get some data. And what do you do next with that? And I think that's where my parents really sort of helped me contextualize the performance, whether it be good, bad or indifferent, but then help me understand what's the next step? What's the next level along the way? And then I understand that there came a time where you sort of changed that career pathway from swimming to doing something else. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so... I think like a lot of sports, I got to that 13, 14 mark. Life is changing, your body is changing. A lot of the friends fell out of it for me. So the people you surround yourself with, it became less fun because it was just me swimming on my own. Um, and I just got a bit over it. But I think for me too, I'd said I always wanted to go to a national titles. And I wanted to be able to do what the professional guys do and walk out behind your lane in your club or your institute tracksuit, have your name called out. You see the, like on the pros on telly. And um, I was fortunate enough to do that. I made it, went, it was in Perth. And and had the whole experience and it was great. And then the year after that, I just knew, I just knew that my heart wasn't in that anymore. And no amount of coaching, pep talks, whatever was really going to help me. So I sort of went into this limbo land hiatus for a while. I uh, had a bunch of friends that were in the surf club and just fell into that, learning a new craft, a new skill. Then the Australian Institute of Sport put out a program where they say, well, these are the Olympic sports and what other sports in Australia have crossover skills that we might be able to leverage and introduce them to an Olympic sport? Sprint canoe and surf lifesaving had a lot of crossover and so they've basically come down to the Gold Coast to a come and try day did a bunch of physical gym tests and shuttle runs and all sort of stuff and at the end of the day they said well here's a kayak can you sit in it um, I didn't fall in and they said well hey if you're interested you should come down to the coast and be part of the uh, Pathways program for, for London 2012 and I thought well that sounds pretty exciting and uh, the Olympic flame was sort of reignited I knew career wise I was three quarters of the way through my engineering studies that time and I was able to transfer my job straight down here and I could go um, external for my last two subjects and the AIS was like well you better get here and start paddling the kayak if you want to go to the Olympics so that's what I did. So the dream was ignited yeah, for the Olympics ignited. at that point. Yeah. So you're talking about when you were selected for the AIS team and one of the things they're looking for is the transferable skills. So you may have worked towards one sport, but actually those skills are really transferable to another. I think that's probably quite applicable to the workplace in identifying talent. Yeah, and... hugely. I think we so easily get ourselves fixed in on this is my craft. This is the thing I've learnt and what I've gone and, do, done, gone and done for how many years and I must get better and better at this one thing. And it's really challenging. And I I find it myself really challenging still to, to sort of stop and look up and say, well, what are my transferable skills that we're really talking about? Basically, allow people to say, just because you have skills here doesn't define who you are. It means this is where you're coming from and we can create pathways to, to leverage those skills and to stretch you. I think it's about helping people realize what aligns with, with their values and what they want to do and then helping them realize that just because that's what you've always done doesn't mean what it has to always be. You're studying at University Engineering. You have moved to the Gold Coast. You are trying out this new sporting career in kayaking. How did it go up to start? There was an important step in between that was really defining. Yep. <laughs> I actually spent um, 12 months in Brisbane, beyond the water at five, shower change, worked eight till four there, jumped in a car, drove all the other side of the city, quickly got changed, jumped in a kayak, uh, come home, shower off, dinner, try and smash out two hours of study on my dissertation and final thesis, crash into bed at 10, 30, 11 o'clock and wake up and do it again. I knew this was the step that I had to take to get myself closer to Pizzy Park on the Gold Coast, which is where the AIS is, is based. But if I don't do this step, I'm never going to realise that thing. And it, it was a hard year. It was, it was just 
just, I guess, dogged determination of, hey, I've taken the leap. I've, I've left. I'm not going to become a statistic of not achieving it, right? Leave Rocky for the big smoke and, and, and never actually follow through. The drive really came from just knowing that end state. I, I, if I'm going to have another crack at this, this whole Olympics thing, and a real crack this time, like, I've really got to have a crack at it. And, um, and there were some hard conversations with myself during that. But at the same time, I think I met a couple of people in that year that really were defining for me in my early years of paddling. Um, people that sort of become rocks for you. You miss some morning of training. Oi, what's going on? Where are you? You okay? Hey, probably training a bit hard. Take a week off. You've got to get this work stuff done. Was just trying to balance that. And I had a lot of people help me work through that. It's one of those things you hear it all the time, but it really does come down to a network of people that can help you succeed. You're really relying on the people that you meet along the way. And I think part of it too is being open to meet those people because sometimes that feedback you hear is not the feedback you want it's not the feedback you think you need is it unusual in the international sporting community for people to hold down a professional job as an engineer for example whilst also pursuing an olympic dream is that unique to australia or is that something that happens internationally in a lot of codes it depends on the sport and the country um so we would paddle with you know germans hungarians austrians they'd all sort of come out eastern europeans come out for our summer and they had no idea it's like why do you guys get on the water at 5 30 you guys are nuts you know why are you getting up so early doing that and like well, we've got to go to work man we've got to go and do our session, finish our thing, and then we've got to go and you know do our jobs. And and uh, that was a foreign concept for them. When you, as soon as you get out of the high-profile sports, you've got to have a career. You've got to be investing in yourself. What comes next after? So it's not an outlier completely, but it's not the norm for everyone. Can you tell me a bit about the lead up to the preparation for London? I was in the men's K4 1000, um, and so that's a it's a four-seater boat um, paddling over 1,000 meters, and there's basically five of us going for four seats. And um, probably me and another guy were with the fourth, fifth. They were sort of settled on the other three. And uh, they raced at a World Cup in Richard Say in the Czech Republic, and they got a silver medal. And the next World Cup was my turn to jump in in um, Duisburg in Germany. We got a bronze medal. I had a meeting about half an hour later and said, Matt, I'm sorry, we've made our decision. The K4 for London will be the, the Richard Say crew, the second World Cup that got the silver medal. At the moment, if you want to go to the games, you're going to have to find a new event. Fortunately, there was there was an opening in the sprints, which is a 200 meter event. And I'm like, well, maybe I am kind of you know more fast twitch, more sprint orientated. Maybe maybe we could have a go at this. And um, I wasn't ready to give up just yet. I'd sort of come too far, paddled too many strokes just to walk away without having to just you know give it a crack. Yeah, moved into the 200 meter program and just threw myself at it. And um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. And I think one of the things that really changed in that build-up was I was no longer racing out of fear. The reasons for why I was doing it were the same, but the method in which I was going to do the whole process was very different. You just get through that that process of rehearsing and practicing and visualizing what it's going to look like. But the glue that held that together was no longer about who do I have to beat. It was about how fast can I go. And for me, that at its core, for me, is what the pursuit of excellence is all about. It was no longer driven by who I have to beat, who I have to impress, what data I have to look good. And I was just all about, all right, Urquhart, what can you do today? That, for me, allowed me to step into that pursuit of excellence going, all right, each day, how can I do that a little bit better? And the best part of all of it is I was doing it for me. By that point, London was done. This was a Hail Mary pass to, to try and scrape into the team. And um, it was just, it was a really nice way to sort of finish that whole thing around for, for me and what does what does sport mean to me and how do I become a better athlete so unfortunately um, it came down to a race off and best of three and um, I just missed out in the end I would love to have gone to the games but the skills I picked up along the way have really set me up for, for everything that's come come since then and how many seconds did you miss out by oh geez asking the hard questions now um, yeah it was pretty narrow in the end um, point something yeah <laughs> pretty close so a hundredth of a second and you would have been yeah, at London yeah, like, yeah. but anyway <laughs> 
How do you not second guess that? What could have, should have, would have? Oh, you do. I think that's part of the process of coming off it. So I lined back up the, in 2013 and thought, right, I'm a 200 meter athlete now. I'm going to have another crack at this. And and you do. You, you question all those things of what. Imagine if I had made the jump earlier and if I hadn't have gone to Europe in the four and had I just been training in the. It's all done. That's done. I mean, all you're doing is it robbing your own happiness doing that. Like you're living in the past. And I think a lot of it just comes down to focus. And, and focus is, the, is that being present in the moment right now. What can I focus on? What can I control? right now and just throw my energy into that thing. I was very fortunate to, to have MT and, and a career thereafter and was really focusing on work. Some exciting stuff was happening. I was getting a lot of opportunities. Um, probably didn't train as well as I should have through the domestic season, but did enough to get in. And I should have had all this motivation to dive in and, and have another crack at it all. And it was, I think it was early May, dark, cold, rainy morning. I roked up and I just looked at my coach at the time and he's like, wait, you're not getting changed? What's going on? I was like, no, nah, man, I'm done. I'm finished. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm over it. And he goes, no, I get that. So I picked up my bag and jumped back in the car, drove home, went back to sleep for an hour, got up, got dressed to work and went to work with MT and you know, got into that. And that was it. That was it. And actually it took me quite a while to, to see the link between um, athlete Matt and what that means to be a, a leader. Um, so that, that has taken some time to sort of link those two together and say, actually, you know what, there's there's a depth of skill set here that is applicable, that can, can be used. You talked about in your early days how you would visualise what success would look and feel like. Is this something that you do as a leader with goals and KPIs? I try to. It's one of those things where you can't step in and say, take a photo of what this plant's going to look like and imagine how you're going to design. It's a bit different to that. So that's that's a bit tough. But I try and spend time with particularly project leads and stuff saying, well, what's the end goal here? And not just like, well, well here's the contract and this is what we said we do. Like, yeah, but what's that going to look like? I mean, who, how big's this team? What's that schedule going to look like? Let's just start mapping stuff out. So we've got something tangible that we can say, oh, all right, well, what's the end state? And look, someone could argue that that's just good planning right well yeah it is but if you don't paint done that for me has been the real value in um, helping people see what the end looks like and how do we get there really helps people feel autonomous in their work and start to solve their own problems and find their own thing that they're trying to go and work on and and get better at and their own pursuit of excellence important piece for building trust and empathy within teams it's really easy to sit in your role and see the world through a certain lens and just assume that what's in my head must be the reality of what that thing is. And I think that's where we, um, as organisations, as leaders, need to get better at, at showing um, and just living a, a more empathetic view of our leadership. Because if we can't, that divide will just remain. And the perceptions of, well, they must know they set us up for this, you know, that doesn't really breed success. There's no excellence in that. That's blame, shame, you know, lies. You can't grow from there. But if you can get to a place where you are willing to shift your perspective and look at things through a different lens, you, you do open yourself up to a far more open discussion, a far better narrative between two parties to work out what are we doing here? How do we do this? Because the minute you sit there and say, well, it must be this way because this is how I perceive it, you really start to close off the options. And I think um, we probably don't spend enough time challenging our own perceptions of whether it's looking up or down from whatever role we sit within the organisation. Things aren't always how they seem. And that in my experience, the best way to break those barriers down is to either have a conversation or, or get off my butt and try and have a go at it and see what it's like. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. It's been such a pleasure. And I think for a lot of people who will listen, it'll be really insightful. I know for me, I have always glamorised going to the Olympics and was certainly never anywhere near an athlete material. But it's so interesting to live vicariously and to hear about it and maybe to realise that maybe it wasn't my dream after all, because 
I just wanted to go there for all the international buffets that I heard that they had. <laughs> oh, they're good yeah. too. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being able to talk. My pleasure. Thank you. Wow. I really hope that you enjoyed that chat with Matt as much as I enjoyed recording it. It was such a pleasure to sit down with him and to understand what it takes in them to work towards something like an Olympic dream. It's something that most of us may think about or dream about, but to actually hear someone who has worked towards it and to miss out by hundreds of a second um, and to still be able to talk about it and to learn from it is just nothing short of incredible. So it was such a pleasure to chat to him and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And before we finish up, I would like to take the time to acknowledge the Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of the land where this episode has been recorded. Make sure you tune into next month where I speak to a brand new guest about a brand new topic as we continue to share, learn, connect. Our producers are Darby Martinelli and Melanie Blows and I'm Georgia Lutby. Thank you for listening.